So these are very familiar words, I think, for most of us, for many of us. Um, from Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and in another version, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I'm going to be focusing especially on the first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, I won't be focusing as much on loving your neighbor because if we truly love God, then I believe loving our neighbor should come fairly automatically um, who can really love God and hate their neighbor, the, the Bible asks. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, recently I was watching a program on the History Channel called The Goat by in the, the MC was Peyton Manning of a football fame. Not so long ago, I talked to a grandmother, and she said, you know, my grandson called me the goat, and I was highly offended. Because when I think about a goat, you know, the heading, butting heads, and very hard to keep in a pen, and she said, I thought that that was a very, very nice comparison. So she was kind of angry with her grandson. But then the grandson said, but Grandma, that means you're the greatest of all time. Well, that certainly warmed the cockles of her heart. The greatest of all time. And so this program that I was watching, the first one was about candy bars. Which is the greatest candy bar or candy of all time? And so, you know, somebody, I'm not going to ask you to yell out, but somebody could say Skittles, jelly beans, um, um, and Mars bars. or, or uh, so There's so many, many candy kisses. And so, but which is the greatest of all time? The answer was Reese's Peanut Cups. Wow, somebody said, what? How can that be? The other program that I saw happened to be about race cars. Which is the greatest race car ever? And so there was the Camaro and the Corvette and there was the Bergotti and there was the Porsche. Not Porsche, we were told, but Porsche. And, uh, and so, and many, and a few others, the Ferraris, Bugattis, and but you know which was the greatest? the Ford Mustang. So, 
Some of you, and kind of, it's kind of fun, right, to which is the greatest hockey team of all time, which is the greatest hockey player of all time. And so there's, you can play that game ad infinitum. And so you might, with some of these individuals, say, okay, well, I can see that. I can agree with that. But as one of them heard over there, what? That's crazy. That's nuts to say that Reese's peanut butter or that the Ford Mustang is the greatest of all time. That just really doesn't make sense. And so the person who makes the choice and announces which is the greatest loses all sorts of credibility amongst many, many people. This morning, we deal with Jesus who is faced by the goat question. And that is, what is the greatest commandment of all time? You see, and this was the Pharisees that were asking the question, and you see there were, at that time, there were 613 different laws. I, I read somewhere, I, I, didn't, I didn't test it out, but somebody said in the Hebrew language, the Ten Commandments has 613 words. And so there were 613 commandments. Can you imagine at school and you're doing a test and there's just one question on the test, what are the 613 commandments? It'd be impossible to remember them all. And so during that time, there was this, this debate or this discussion, which is, which is then the greatest commandment? Which one do we really, really have to look at? And the, the Pharisees, of course, they were really concerned about ritual. They were concerned about outside practices. That's what their concern was. And so they were testing Jesus. Because if Jesus would pick one of the Commandments, like we heard just this, which is the greatest commandment? And the child said, honor your parents. Well, that's a very important one, of course. But if you're, if you're no longer in that situation, you might say, well, that's really not all that important to me. And so then Jesus would lose or could lose credibility if he would pick one of those 613 commandments. Do we still do that sort of thing? Pick these particular command, have one commandment that is more the greatest of all time? I mean, de jour, or, or by legally, we know that all the commandments are, are important. But if I look at my background, and maybe some of you can relate to that, I think some years ago, probably the fourth commandment was considered to be the greatest commandment. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. You shall not do any work. And, and, and I grew up when um, we were not allowed to do any work. You're not allowed to go to a restaurant. You, you had, you, you was important kind of you kept your Sunday clothes on so you would be kind of holy just even in way of dress. And so this, in effect, was the greatest commandment. If, if I saw a neighbor cutting the lawn on a Sunday, I just simply concluded that that person was not a Christian because it was cutting the lawn on a Sunday. And so I think that that commandment 
and it became the greatest commandment. And as important as that commandment is, that we find rest and that we find peace and that we have it in Jesus Christ, and it is, is fundamentally important that we know that the, the, the rhythm of life, the six days and the one, as important as that is, it is not the greatest commandment. Today, things have changed, whether for good or bad, I'm not going to, but things have radically changed as far as that commandment goes. But today it seems that maybe the seventh commandment, that is, you shall not commit adultery, with the whole matter of, of the, the homosexuality and the gender issues and, and all of... And so your, your orthodoxy, your Christianity almost, is determined by the way you answer some of those, some of those questions. And again, as important as that is, and as we need to discuss and we need to pray about these matters and we need to grow, we need to be reminded that this is not the greatest commandment. And so Jesus is asked the question, Lord, he's asked the goat question. What is the greatest commandment of all time? And then we know the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, Jesus is quoting, actually, from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy 6, for 5, which comes right after the, the Ten Commandments, and also from Leviticus 19, verse 18. You see, why... This isn't one of the 613. This is, this is the commandment that is underneath all of them. This is the foundation question. Um, and, and so, and, and this is a question or a commandment that you cannot fulfill with a ritual. You can't just simply, okay, I love God by going to church. I do something, and so therefore that is, that is my love for God. No, it goes much deeper than that. If you would tell me that uh, to, to love your wife means that you give her roses on, on every, every Friday, um, then so I might begin by going to the flower shop and give her roses, but that becomes a little bit uh, cumbersome every Friday, and so I'll make a deal with the, the floor shop, and uh, I'll pay in advance, and so that they bring the, the flowers. And so I fulfilled the commands of the law. But my wife would know, your wife would know, your husband would know, whether that love is genuine, whether it's real, whether all the commandments, it says here, depend upon this command that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Over this last little while, I've been asking myself the question, you know, these verses I've read many times as a pastor in churches, and do I really love God? There's some feedback, but anyway... I'll try to sit still, stand still. Um, do I really love God? You know, I believe in God. Personally, I don't have any real problems with that. 
I believe that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. I believe God is the one who, who sets the standard for what is right and for what is good, and that because of that we know what is wrong and what is evil. I know, I, I believe that with all my heart. But the question I ask myself is, do I really love God? And when I began reflecting on that question, I came to the conclusion, you know, I think I fear God more than I love God. Because if I look at my life, I know where I have failed. I know where I have done wrong. I'm probably not generous enough. I'm probably not obedient enough. I'm probably not excited about Christianity enough. I probably don't pray enough. And so, I, I, I could be selfish and greedy and materialistic. Do, do I just really imagine God saying to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant? No. I think sometimes of God, oh, Gary, it's... it's is that you again? I, th I, th I thought you were going to be different. I thought you were going to do things differently. I, I, you know, that's kind of sometimes the way I feel about God. And when, you, and when you fear someone, can you really love that person? You see, I think that I was, uh, and, and maybe some of you are too, is... is Conditioned with a kind of a, a performance-based love, conditional love. I've met a number of people at the end of their, as they're approaching the end of their lives, and are you assured of salvation, that you will see the Lord? And many sometimes will say, oh, I, I hope so, I hope so. I don't know if I've lived a good enough life you see, it's, it's based on performance. It's based on the things that I have done. And so if I look on the things that I have done, then quite frankly, I fear God more than I love God. And so as I think God loves me that way, sometimes then I in turn love others that way. I love you if, you if you live up to my standards. But if you don't, then, well, I, I really don't want a whole lot to do with you. And so that whole concept of performance-based love. But that is not the love that we know from God. No, the important thing is to begin with, you shall love the Lord your God. And who is your God? Who is my God? This is the God who has sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that your sins are covered, so that you may be taken out of the slavery to sin, that you may be free from that. This is, the, this is loving the Lord your God. This is not just a question, you shall love God. 
And now you got to work at it. You got to, it got to, it got to come from your own strength. No. This is the love your, this is, you shall love the Lord your God. The God who sent his son and who subsequently sent his spirit into our lives to give us a new heart, to give us that spirit, to give us that desire. As Jeremiah talks about the law of God written on our hearts. This, this is the love of God that he sent to us. And so we need to believe. We need to believe that irrespective of our actions, God loves us with an eternal love. Yes, I know my failures. I know my missteps, I know my proclivities, I know my weaknesses, I know them. But yet, and this is the good news, that God loves us despite these things. So this is, you shall love the Lord, your God. Now how are we to respond to that love? Someone has said God loves us as we are, but loves us so much that he does not leave us that way. He gives us that new heart. He infuses us with his spirit. You know, one of the saddest things is, is, is when you, you, know, you, you bring up a child, you love your child, and the child you know, goes the wrong way. I think of God in, or in Hosea, where, where God says, he, he talks about how, how he adopted his children and how he raised his children, and yet they go off in a wanton, wanton lifestyle, and how God grieves that. And so, yes, God, God has given us all of these, these blessings. He has given us his spirit, and so that changes us. This renews us. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is love? Well, sometimes we often consider love to be a noun. That is, love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. It is, it is a noun. And it can be that, of course, it's, uh, uh, it is. But then what What happens sometimes, sadly, in, in, a, in a marriage, you know, yeah, I've kind of lost that loving feeling. I think the Righteous Brothers had a song about, about that. Um, so, they, yeah, that, that, that sometimes happens. And so, well, yeah, well, if I've lost that feeling, then, then okay, I guess I don't, I don't love. But love here is also a verb, and it's very important to understand that it is a verb. And 1 Corinthians 13, of course, is a very, very powerful way. Uh, you shall love. Love is patient, and love is kind, and it, is, it delights in the truth. It keeps no record of wrongs. It forgives. Love involves the will. It involves the emotions. And again, not that you have to kind of resurrect that thing by your will. You have to do this. No. God, let me know your grace. Let me know your love. 
so that I in turn may, may love you and love others. We are to love the Lord our God with all our soul. You know, what is the soul? Sometimes that's a real philosophical question, of course, but, um, you know, when God created mankind in uh, Adam, or there was a dust of the earth, and then God breathed into his spirit, his breathed in, into him, and he became a living soul. He became a unique person. Someone said that the soul is that which stands kind of between the spirit of God creating, creating us alive and our activities, our personalities, our characters. Souls can be very vulnerable. It's good to see all these children here. And we know that children don't only need um, housing and, and food and clothing and education. They need, they need love. They need support because you can, you can damage their souls. So they're very vulnerable. I remember once uh, visiting in, in, in Bowdoin Institution, the, the prison, and, and talking to some of the guys, and you hear stories, especially about the way they were treated uh, yeah, by their dads, especially. And so it, it totally, totally affected their souls. And so to love the, our God with all our souls is to, is to know that we are worthy, that God loves our soul. He died so that we may have life. And so therefore, as we understand that, we want to praise him. We want to worship him. My soul, says the psalm, thirsts for God, to love God with all our souls. We are to love him with all our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts for out of the hearts flow the issues of life. What is it that motivates you? What is it that motivates me? Is it aggrandizement? Is it material, is it material things? Is it greed? What is it? What is it that motivates you as you get up in the morning and you go to your, your very stuff? What is it that you that motivates you? And here we are that we love God. We're motivated by giving glory to you. And as I said earlier in the, in the introduction, and as I do that, then automatically, I'd also desire to love others. As we read in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, that's what we do when, when we appreciate and accept God's love in our lives. And we know what that love is doing. We are to love God with all our minds. I thought the prayer this morning was, or that responsive prayer about uh, students and teachers going back, back to their classrooms, I thought was very, very, very apropos. Because through, throughout, we were, our, our minds were not just simply loaded with facts, but we see so much more. 
Last week, I don't know if you were, if that was involved here too, or many of you are farmers, and, and um, but I guess it was Farmer's Day, or we, uh, the, all the uh, city slickers could go visit the farms, and uh, anyway, that's what we did, and uh, we, we were there with a, a beef bison herd, but also bees, and the way they extract honey, and and you know... <laughs> We learned so much. But you know what I came away from? I was just amazed at God. How God, in terms of these bees, hundreds, thousands of them, doing the same thing, building the same little cells out of wax. (laughs) How How is that even possible? See, with your mind, you learn but you also see what, what God is doing. And then you're not only learning, but you're adding to wisdom. Not only facts, but something that we certainly need in this world today. Finally, we learn to love God with all our strength. Each of us is different. Each of us have certain strengths, certain gifts, certain talents. And as we get to know those, how? How how can we use those in service to God? That with these gifts, with these talents, whether it be in music, whether it be in science, whether it be in farming, or whatever it might be, that we use them to give God glory. See, that's, that's the verb, as if you will. That's the way we, that's the way we, we, we deliberately Love God because that's the love which has, first of all, been placed into our lives. When you love your spouse, for example, you, you want to listen to each other. You want to please each other. You want to spend time with each other. You do things together. And so you do things that you have a sense that, that God is with you, that you are doing these things with God. And so this is the way that we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, strength, and mind. Now, if God would give you a mark, if he would give me a mark for how I'm doing in fulfilling this particular command, and it's not just any one, just one other command. No, it is the greatest of all commands. I believe that God would have to give me an F. He would have to give me a failing mark. But this should not cause us to despair. You know, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of the standards uh, confessions of our church, you might remember that it's divided into three sections. The first section deals with how great my sin and misery is, The second section deals with how I am released uh, from my sin, how salvation. And the third section is how I am to live a thankful life because of what Jesus has done. Well, this particular command is dealt with in in this uh, Heidelberg Catechism. What section do you think that it's dealt with? I would think that most of us would think that it's probably dealt with in the third section. That is, how am I to live a thankful life? But actually, it's dealt with in the first section. 
Where do I come to know my sin and misery? We come to know it from the law of God. And what is the law of God? It asks that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so when I think about that, then, and remember, the Heidelberg Catechism becomes, starts with what is your only comfort in life and death? So when I look at this command and I recognize my failure, all I can look, see is how great, how high, how wide, how deep is God's love that he accepts me, that he sends his son for my life. So all I can do is every day, every day when I get up, Lord, fill me again with your love. And all the tasks that face me, that I may, that I may do it in your power, your strength. And at the end of the day, I know that I'm going to say, Lord, I have failed again, but I pray, fill me, that I may grow to become more like Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what our families, our churches, our communities, our world would look like if this were our practice in reality? It would be like heaven coming down and renewing this world. And of course, that is our hope. That's what we're expecting at the end of the days. But in the meantime, we seek to give our world, we seek to give our communities, we seek to give our families an experience of that heaven here on earth. Yes, it's fun to play the goat game from time to time. We can spend a lot of time, but we can't spend a lot of time dealing with what is the greatest commandment. Because Jesus has answered that question for, for all time. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. As Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, Now faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. Now why is love the greatest? Because you see, faith and hope will end. When we are in the presence of Jesus, our faith has become sight. Our hope is fulfilled. But love never ends. With it, we are truly at home with God, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. And um, Lord, we've heard these words very often. Uh, help us to overcome sometimes the fear we have that you are a God who is ready to punish, ready to cast us away, that you are, as we read this morning too, that you are, you are love, for God is love, that we may know that love, and that we may know how that love has impacted us.
how that love has changed us and that we desire. We desire to love you in, with our hearts and souls and mind and strength and that we love others like ourselves. So, Father, we, we just pray for your spirit to continue to work in our lives. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.